just want to read two passages of Scripture. It is the long weekend, so that's the time, of course, when folks are away, our kids are all away. The youth group is going to be here uh, with the uh, young people from our conference, youth conference, um, at 1230. That's their plan anyway. Um, and so we will uh, make room for them. So I always debate. I, f I find that uh, Labor Day weekend and Victoria Day weekend are always those weekends for anybody who's preachers. It's like, oh, man, should I preach this message this week or should I save it for when everybody's back? You always wrestle with that. Should you book a guest speaker? Because you kind of feel like, well, what if everybody's gone? You know, you know folks are away. And you're trying to uh, build on some things. But uh, you know what? You're here, so you're going to get it. Amen. You're going to get the word for this morning. It's Isaiah 35. Just going to read a, a short selection of scriptures, verse 1 and 2, 5 through 7 and verse 10, and then skip over to John chapter 7. Isaiah 35. The Lord says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Of course, speaking of the region of Israel. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And then verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And then over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 verse 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. For those who may not be familiar, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration in the nation of Israel annually where the people commemorated and celebrate the wonderful provision of God for the 40 years of his people wandering through the wilderness. And John tells us that on the last day of this feast, that Jesus stands up in the midst of an incredible event that was taking place. Because on the last day, tradition tells us that the priests would, would, would set up these huge, huge vats full of water on the top of the temple stairs. And as everybody was assembled down below, they would tip over these vats and they would break and thousands of gallons of water would just stream down the temple steps like a waterfall. And they would splash over everybody as they're shouting and celebrating and worshiping God and thanking Him for what He had done. You see, what it recognized was that God had delivered His people Egypt from those 400 years of slavery. And He was the same God who not only set them free, but he was the God who miraculously provided for them over those 40 years in the wilderness. He not only brought them to a place, which was a miracle in itself, that these slaves, former slaves, would inherit their own nation, the promised land. He not only brought them to a place, but he also brought them into the purpose that he had for them 
in that time. Friends, salvation has so much more to do with just being saved, if I can say that. It has more to do with just understanding why you're here. God wants you to understand that your salvation also involves you understanding why God has given you the spouse that He's given you and how that relationship can thrive and be fulfilling. He wants you to understand in salvation why you have the children that He has given to you and how they can thrive and how they can realize their purpose. He wants you to understand why you work where you are and you're not just in a nine-to-five grind, but there's ministry there. There's something that God wants you to do there. He's ordained that, that it be a place for the river of God to flow through you. Salvation has to do with us understanding how our relationships can thrive wherever they may be. Why? Because there is a river in you. There is a stream of the Holy Spirit who is in you, and He can bring life wherever He goes. That's what Jesus said on that particular day. He stands up in the midst of the crowd as everyone is cheering, as the water is splashing around, and He says, if you are thirsty, come to Me. If you believe, come to Me and drink. For the Scripture declares that rivers of living water will flow out from within you. And friends, he was not talking about a one-time flow. He was talking about a stream. He was talking about a pipeline that would first flow to you, and then it would disperse through you, everywhere you go, to everyone around you. In fact, the words Jesus spoke that day, they were prophetic. And they were a prophecy that referred to a previous prophecy. That's why Jesus, as he was making this prophetic declaration, he also said, for the scriptures declare. In other words, he's speaking of a former prophecy, saying it's going to be fulfilled, and here is what the manifestation of the fulfillment is going to be. As the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow out from within you. Now think about that for a moment. He's talking about a prophecy that God has given to his nation Israel that pertains to the wilderness and the death and the desert that's going to spring to life. He uses that scripture to say, but this is speaking about something that God by his spirit is going to do in you. Now, in the, in the natural, it, 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 it related to a prophecy pertaining to what was called the waters of Miram. The waters of Miram were a beautiful region where you could go. It was kind of like an oasis. It was beautiful. There were gardens and plants, and the water itself was fresh. But what happened over a period of centuries is that the waters of Miram had become neglected. And so what would happen is these reeds would grow up as, as normally does, and then they would die, and because it wasn't being maintained, they would collapse into the water. And then year after year, decade after decade, century after century, all these reeds are growing up and dying and growing up and dying to the point that it was no longer this beautiful oasis, but it actually become more like a swamp or a marshland or, or like a bog. It was not farmable. At least they didn't believe that it was farmable. And that's why, if you know your Jewish history, about 70 years ago, when the resettlers returned to Israel, and with the help of the Rothschilds and their great fortune, they began to dry up all these huge parcels of land. And those who lived there in the Palestinians, they gladly sold all this land to the Jews, and they laughed all the way to the bank. They thought the Jews were fools. Sure, you can have this. It's unfarmable. It's useless. But you see, God's people knew what to do. 
And they began to dredge out all those bogs and all that swampland until they just had fresh water and they filled it with fish. And today it's just this huge commercial fishing industry there. They also took all that rich, rich soil from over the centuries, that fertilizer, and they spread it throughout the region, and they created these beautiful farmlands that has made Israel one of the leading agricultural developments in the entire world. Feeds much of the world around it. And of course, the Jews believe, and I believe too, that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah. Chapter 35, verse 1, where God promised the desert will blossom with flowers. Isn't that amazing? It's actually the fulfillment of Scripture that we see in our lifetime. And it's also one of the Scriptures Jesus was referring to when He said, if you believe in Me, the Scriptures declare that living water will flow from within you as well. It's a beautiful prophecy that refers to you and me. The fact that God is going to do the exact, and I want you to think about this, the exact same thing that the prophet Isaiah said 2,600 years ago that's going to happen in a desert land, Jesus uses that scripture to say to you and me that by the Holy Spirit, the same thing, the same kind of miracle that nobody could possibly have imagined is going to happen in you. It's going to happen in you. God's going to do something in you that's going to flow through you that would be totally unimaginable. And it's going to be exciting. And it's going to have the same kind of prophetic fulfillment as we see in the land itself. And I believe, of course, as Jesus said in John 7, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the river of the Spirit, the stream of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to talk about this morning quickly are just three areas where the stream of the Holy Spirit relates to us in His work in our life. I want to talk to you about the stream of development. I want to talk to you about the stream of healing and also the stream of refreshing or of reviving. First of all, the stream of development. As most of you are probably aware, in Israel, the farm, uh, farmlands they have, the, the setups they have, they call kibbutz. And in a kibbutz, what's interesting is that they don't depend on the rains alone. In the, in the kibbutz system in Israel, what they have done is they've developed this sophisticated irrigation system whereby it draws on the rain that falls, it draws on the water that comes down from the mountains, it draws on the waters that come from the springs underneath the ground. They collect all of these waters as their water source. And this morning, I want us to think about the flow of God's Spirit in our lives. And I want us to think about how the Spirit of God has been given to us, as the prophet Isaiah said, in order to make the desert blossom and to blossom with flowers. Because, friends, if we assume that just having the seasonal showers of God's rain in our lives are in any way going to possibly accomplish everything God has for us, everything God wants to do in us and through us, we are mistaken. That's not enough. It's not going to accomplish what God wants to do. Every one of us here this morning, we have moments when those much-needed times of refreshing, they fall upon us and we are revived. We need that rain. I'll be the first one to tell you, we need the Dan Moeller weekends. We need the Jason Chin weekends. Our ladies, they need these Ignite weekends and those conferences and those special times. Those are wonderful. They're exciting. They're encouraging times. But the Lord also wants us to come to terms with the disciplines that we need to develop in our lives so that these showers of blessing, they are maximized. 
They don't dissipate. They don't dry up. They don't go away. And we find ourselves feeling like, that was wonderful, but I, I, how do I apply that? That was wonderful, but I guess it doesn't relate to me. That was wonderful. When's the next guy coming? Instead, we need to develop it so that they become ditches and reservoirs and pipelines in our lives through which Jesus is able to flow. There are probably some of you here this morning, if we're honest, we, we just come every week, and I can have weeks like this too, but we just kind of come and go every week, or we come to different things, but if we're really honest, there's not a whole lot that's really being ministered through you. And I have weeks when I feel like there's not a lot being ministered through me. And it's not because we're not good people, it's not because we're, we're not caring, whatever it may be. You just have to take the time to develop channels in your life through which the Spirit of God can flow. So that the blessings of God that rain upon you, they don't become swamps. They don't become bogs. You don't get bogged down, you might say, spiritually. You see, the reality is, as Christians, we can enjoy the presence of the Lord. We can enjoy, I just love the worship this morning. I don't know if, Matt, if you guys are out here, or maybe they're back there having a coffee, but... Um, I just appreciated the anointing. I appreciated the, the, the excellence of worship. I appreciated the touch of the Spirit. But you know what? We can, we can come into those times. We can gather and enjoy those times. And we can end up being like the waters of Miram. We can just be real nice Christian people. You know, kind of like the waters of Miram. It's a nice place to go and relax on a sunny day. You can kind of take your book and, and unwind. And we can be like that too. We can be like nice people that people enjoy being around. You know, if you can kind of look at our spirit, we're like the waters of Miram, and you've got little dragonflies, you know, buzzing around the bulrushes, and you've got, this, you know, this quiet, nice little uh, still water supply. And we can be nice people. And there's nothing wrong with being nice people. But friends, the Lord has more of us for, from us to, uh, for us to do and to be because we can be like those waters, but honestly, we're not productive. We're not usable. We're not really maximizing what the Lord has for us. We don't really minister anything. And yet we have all kinds of opportunities for that to change. In fact, in a very rudimentary way, if you're saying, well, Lord, how can I be a ministering person? You can just start here. You, you can just get involved in, in a ministry here. And, and when I say that, we need to understand that we don't run programs here at Glad Toddings just to fill the schedule, just to give everybody something to do and, you know, give them an excuse to come to the church. And in fact, if you get involved in ministry, you begin to see that. You begin to understand that, that we're not just running programs, but it has to do with impacting lives. It has to do with growth and development. It has to do with freedom. It has to do with lives being changed. And there's so many lives that have been changed, so many lives that the Lord has set free. That's what the Lord wants to do. In fact, we have a whole ministry format, nothing radically different, but we're going to be unpacking some things as we lead toward the fall. We're going to be talking about some uh, development tracks, spiritual development tracks, leadership tracks, uh, resource tracks, these different things uh, that we're going to be introduced and given an opportunity. But friends, I've got to tell you something. I say this on kindness. In kindness, nobody's going to come and take your hand. Nobody's going to kind of come and say, hey, why don't you come and get involved in this? Well, why, don't you, why don't you come along and attend this thing? Why don't you volunteer to do this thing? And why do I say that? Because we need to understand that you have to make up your own mind whether or not you're going to be a ministering person. Nobody can make you do that. Nobody can take you by the hand and lead you to something. You have to decide if you're going to develop the things that will make you a productive follower of Jesus Christ. And it all comes down to understanding that that only happens when you develop those channels in your life 
through which ministry flows. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, but you and I, each of us, we are responsible to develop those things that the Lord speaks to us about in order that when He blesses, when He ministers, we're able to retain, we're able to let it change us and shape us and actually begin to flow through us. The river of development. A second stream is the, of the Spirit's work in our life is illustrated in 2 Kings 5. It's the story of Naaman's leprosy. You probably know the story quite well. If you don't, Naaman was simply a commander in the Syrian army. He had leprosy. There was no cure in his homeland. He tried everything. And one day a young servant girl came to him and said, Master, I understand that the God of Israel is a healing God and that there's people in Israel being healed of all kinds of sickness and disease, even raising from the dead. Perhaps if you go there, their God will heal you. And so he's tried everything else. He decides that's what I'm going to do. And it took some courage because he had to cross this racial barrier, this political barrier, and go down into Israel and look for the prophet Elisha. And so he weighs down his chariot with, with, with wealth and with, with gifts because he's going to give those to try to buy his healing. And I'm just so glad to see that Elisha didn't take it. Elijah said, I don't need any of that. You don't have to buy anything from God. And so he comes to Elijah's house. What's interesting, if you know the story, Elisha doesn't answer the door. He just sends his servant to answer the door. He knows who it is. He knows where the need is. And he tells his servant what to tell this commander. And he tells him, listen, God will heal you. All you got to do is just go down there to the Jordan River and dip seven times. That's all you got to do. And God will make you clean. So Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He conveys that through his servant. Naaman is furious. Naaman's a commander of the army. No doubt a strong man, right? A commander of many. Naaman is livid. And he basically says, I'm not going to do that. Who do you think I am? And probably one of the reasons he's thinking that, you know, our minds get weird, we get read into the stories, but here's what I think. Naaman's probably thinking, I know what's going to happen. He's asked me to do this simple, stupid, childish thing because when I go down there and I start dipping seven times, the prophet's going to be looking out the window saying, I can't believe he fell for it. He's going to be in there mocking me, laughing at me, and Naaman says, I'm not going to do it. Something so childish. But thankfully, Naaman has a wise servant who says, Master, he says, listen, if the prophet had asked you to give him great wealth, if he had asked you to do any difficult thing, you would have done it for your healing. All he's asking you to do is to go down to the river and dip and be made clean. And so Naaman comes to his senses. He does what he's told. And the Bible says that his skin became clean as an infant child. And he was made whole. He was healed. And you know, the story of Naaman is a wonderful lesson for us of how the power of God will meet your need if your heart will humble itself. If you will listen to what He is saying to you. If you will do what it is He tells you to do. Now I know this morning, or I assume that none of us have leprosy, but I can promise you there are some of us here this morning and there's something that's been eating away at you. There's things just eating away at you. It may have to do with a relationship. It may have to do with some point of failure. Maybe some sin that you feel like it's recurring. I can just never seem to get victory over this thing. It may have to do with your finances. It may have to do with a relationship that's so important to you, but it just seems to be dying and you can't do anything with that. And not only is it eating away at you, but there are some things, how many can relate, that actually become embarrassing to us. Like it just seems like we just can't get it to change. It just seems like it's, it's eroding away our lives and we see it. And we feel sometimes like those around us see it as well. And if that's you this morning, my word to you is this, that the simplicity 
of God's answer to your situation in no way undermines in God's eyes the complexity or the seriousness of what you're experiencing or what you're going through. You see, in our humanness, we expect the same thing. Here's my dilemma. Here's my problem. Here's what's eaten away at my life. The solution must be so complex. It must be so complicated. And so often, God will speak a simple word into your heart. And your spirit resonates and says, yes, I know that's what I need to do. But your flesh, your natural mind says, that's not going to work. How stupid is that? And how many times do we walk away from God in a huff? Right? Because we're expecting, because we think it's so big and so complicated, and God might be saying, this is all you need to do. All you need to do is be still. All you need to do is stop making decisions in your own strength, going ahead in your own wisdom. All you need to do is learn to listen to me. All you need to do is forgive. All you need, whatever it may be, so oftentimes it's a simple little thing. And the Father says, just do this and you'll be clean. Just do this. It'll begin the domino effect that will overthrow what the enemy has set up in your life that you think is so complicated. I remember years ago, the Lord just brought it to my mind, years and years and years ago when I was ministering in Newfoundland, and there was this dear lady, and she had gone through three divorces. She was in her divorce recovery uh, uh, seminar. She had gone through three divorces in her life, and she just felt so twisted, so broken, so hurt. And, and she said, I just, I just don't know how to undo all this stuff. And she said, one night, it was after one of our seminars, we were teaching on forgiveness, and she said, I went home, and I said, Lord, it's a mess, it's a mess. I don't know how I can possibly undo all that's been done. I don't know how I can have a normal life. I don't know how I can think of a life for my kids, any kind of future. And she said, the Lord just kind of showed me in the eye of my spirit this big uh, ball of yarn that was just all knotted and twisted. And as she looked at that, she felt the Holy Spirit say to her, I'm not going to untie every knot. I'm not going to untangle all the mess. And she just saw what looked like just liquid hot oil poured over. And as it was poured over, the bowl just dissolved. It just dissolved. It was a simple word the Lord had given to her, and it just began to undo all of that. And she felt such a freedom and a release, and her heart began to be filled with hope. I want to encourage you, my friends, I don't make light of anything you're going through. You don't know some things I've gone through in my life, but I can tell you this, so often we come to the Lord, the Lord will give us a simple word. Because he knows we can't handle a lot of complicated stuff. It's hard enough even to obey the simple sometimes. But he'll give you a simple word. And he says, trust me, do this. This will begin the release in this area of your life. God has promised to show you what you need to do to find healing and to find wholeness in your situation. But here's the key. You must do it. You must do it. It doesn't sound profound, my friends, but how many of us, again, have walked away from God and we know what God has told us to do? You must choose to do it. Why? And why do we get angry? Because the reality is when, when we truly open ourselves to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, what does Jesus do? He doesn't sit there patting us on the back, you know, just sulking with us, does he? He speaks love and grace and truth into our situation. He cuts through all the excuses, he cuts through all the arguments, all the justifications. He reveals our heart. Isn't that what Hebrews says? The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides soul, a bone and marrow. You know, it divides our spirit and soul. He just, he just says, this is how it is. This is the truth. 
And you say, well, doesn't God care about my feelings? Yes, He does, but He won't cover your disease. That's the difference. He loves you too much to let you stay where you are and to die in what is killing you. That's His love for you. Some of us are waiting for the Lord to just wave His hand over us and make everything instantly change. That's what upset Naaman. Naaman said, no, he said, I'm not going to do that foolish thing. He said, I expected the prophet to come out, wave his hand over me in the name of his God, and heal me. He said, if I want to go dip in the river, there's cleaner rivers back in Syria. I can go back and do that there. But God said, no, go down to the Jordan River and do that, and you'll be made whole. You know, the Lord can change things quickly, and sometimes he does that. But I really believe the Lord knows the difference between the person who cannot help himself and the person who will not help himself and refuses to commit to those necessary things the Lord is telling him to do so that that flow can begin. You know, one of the things I so appreciate about Elisha is that when he has a word from God, he gives that word, he just does what God tells him to do, conveys that message, and then he doesn't follow Naaman down to the river to see if it happened. You ever notice that? Doesn't chase after, well, just to make sure I'm going to hide in the bulrushes and see if, you know, if God came through. Doesn't do that. He just leaves the word with Naaman, and he doesn't need to see the healing for himself to believe that God will do what he said he would do. You know, I believe with all my heart this morning that the ministry of healing is needed in every generation. Let me say that again. I believe the ministry of healing is needed in every generation. Healing is needed in our generation. Do you believe that? What do you tell the person beside you? Our generation needs healing. Go ahead. Our generation needs healing. There never comes a time that we don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating through His people. There's never a time that our society becomes too sophisticated, too altogether, too whatever, to not need the supernatural presence, manifest presence of God in and through His people. There's never been a time. In fact, in these increasingly dark days, I suggest we need it more than ever before. And you know what? For some reason in the body of Christ, I don't know if you feel this way, but I know growing up in the church, it just seems like there's this mindset that, you know, that, that, that in order for God to do anything spectacular, like you just kind of, you got to be in church and there's got to be a lot of excitement going on. And there's got to be some manifestations of the Holy Spirit and you just feel God all over the place. Like you need that. And you know what? That does happen sometimes, but I'll tell you, that's the exception to the rule. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that is not, I don't believe, necessarily always the norm. And I'll tell you another thing, God never intended that it just happens here. Never intended that. It's just something we have inside of these walls. In fact, I know it's a very slippery slope, but a lot of us can begin to believe that if I don't actually, when I'm ministering to somebody, if I don't actually feel the presence of God, if I don't actually see a manifestation of God doing something on the person that's receiving, then nothing's happening. You ever believe that? Ever believe that, Jamie? Yeah? You can struggle with that sometimes. Or here's the other thing. If I do pray for somebody and, and I see something begin to manifest, I begin to feel something stirring, then I feel like I've arrived. Come on down, everybody. There's lots to go around. Just touch me. You know, we feel that way, don't we? Like, like it's some kind of, you know, affirmation of our identity or affirmation that, oh, God actually loves me, you know, because I feel something. I see something. I believe the truth is that all ministry, including healing ministry, all ministry flows where there are people who simply do what Jesus says to do. That's it. 
You don't have to spiritualize it. You don't have to stand around to wait and see the results. You don't have to judge whether or not you heard God right. I can promise you, if you step out in love, you're right. If you step out to meet a need that you see a need, God will use you in some way. We don't have to see the results all the time. But God works through people who simply do what Jesus said to do. People who, when they see a need, they act on it. When they see a need, they simply pray for it. And when the need is met, they're not so foolish to believe that it happened by virtue of their own power or their own goodness. If it happens, it happens by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us as a healing stream. In fact, what you'll discover when the Holy Spirit is actually having His way in your life, one of the evidence, I believe, of the ongoing fullness of the Holy Spirit, get this, friends, is you actually begin to look for opportunities. You're actually scanning through the course of the day because the Holy Spirit, if He's in you, He gives you an appetite. He gives you an appetite to look for needs. He gives you an appetite to look for impossible things like we sang earlier because you believe that they have to bow their knee to Jesus. You believe that. And you step out because you see a need and you actually begin to act on it and you leave the results for the Lord. I want to encourage you this morning, saints, look for opportunities for Jesus to show His love and power through you. You don't have to wait for some kind of charismatic buzz. You don't have to worry about whether or not anything's going to happen. You just act and you pray and you do what Jesus tells you to do and then you leave the rest in his hands. I got a call early morning, yes, it wasn't too early, five o'clock, whatever it was, to go to the hospital. The nurses had called Vera's family and asked them to come and so I got down there five thirty, quarter to six, whatever it was and we probably sat there for five or six hours and she was kind of stabilized in a little bit and so I had a couple things more to do, getting ready for Sunday. I had a flat tire in one of the cars that uh, had to get that fixed or try to get that fixed. And so I thought, I'll just run back, get a couple things done, get back to the hospital. So I got the old car, and, and uh, the tire was off. Ben had the tire off for me. So I took it down to uh, Wonder Auto, whatever it is, down there on the corner across from the Irving Station. And so I dropped it off. And when I'm walking out, there's this young man, probably 30 years old, and he has this little suitcase on wheels, He's walking up Mountain Road. So I said, do you need a ride? So I need some guy with a suitcase walking up Mountain Road. Doesn't take a lot of discernment. Need a ride. And he said, oh, are you Uber? Or as Lyle and Susan say, are you Uber? I said, no, no, I just, I said, I'm just offering you a ride if you need a ride. And he said, well, I'm taking my dry cleaning up here. And uh, he lived actually in the apartments down by the, where the old 1212 Mountain Road, just behind there, those apartments. And he'd been walking up there. He's starting a job. Actually, Roger, I guess Roger's away for a long weekend. He's going to be working next on mobile. But uh, so he's walking up the street. So I said, I'll drive you up there, going to the Prestige. And I said, are you sure you want to go to the dry, dry clearance? said, you can bring the clothes to my place and, and wash them if you like. He said, no, they're for work clothes. I got my suit and stuff. And I thought, it's fine. So I dropped him up. So I said, where are you going from here? He said, well, actually, I got to get a... Uh, a bed. He said, I, got, I responded to an ad in the paper. There's a single bed. He said, I've not been sleeping very well the last few nights. Got an ear mattress, keeps losing the air. So I, I want to get this little, uh, little bed. And I said, Do you have the address? I said, I can take you over. He said, I'm just going over to look at it. And if it's you know, good enough, I'll buy it. The guy said that he could, he could uh, maybe deliver it for me you know, if I decide to buy it. So I said, Sure. So ends up it's over in Elmwood, off Elmwood. So uh, we're driving over there. And about four hours sleep. Uh, we're driving over there. 
and uh, ends up the bed is fine. So he decides to get the bed, realizes there's going to be cash. So we go and find an ATM, get some cash, come back and, and pay for the bed. And the guy says, I can deliver it, but I can't deliver it until uh, Tuesday. And this poor guy hasn't slept for three nights. And uh, so I said, well, let's see if we can, you know, get on the car. So we throw what we can in the back seat and got my, uh, you know, the, ear, the mattresses and the box spring tied up on the roof. And, and uh, we're driving through Moncton anyway, what we look like. But so every time we had to do something, you know, every time, like the, 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 la- you know, the, the laundromat, well, that's enough, that's good. And, no, no, hey, I don't mind. I, you know, I got some time. Let's go here after that. No, no, that's, that's good. You know, this guy's from Ontario, from Toronto. I, I know, I still helped him. He's from Toronto. <laughs> but, uh, but no word of a lie, like when he first got in, like kind of half tongue-in-cheek, but he's half serious, because like I say, he's from Toronto. Because he, he gets in the car, he says, are you going to kill me? <laughs> and I said, maybe with kindness. And so anyways, we took care of all that stuff. We are probably two or three hours in. Got him over to his house, got the bed set up, all that kind of stuff. And when I went to leave, I got his phone number, he got mine, we're going to get together and go out. He said, can I hug you? Now, did I mention he's from Toronto? (laughs) They don't hug in Toronto, okay? Can I hug you? You see, it's just that simple. There wasn't a healing, there wasn't a salvation yet, right? There's just a need. There was just somebody in need walking by. And what does the Lord do? He opens this wonderful opportunity. In fact, I'm the one who walked away refreshed and drove away and said, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that. That was so rich. Friends, it's just that basic, that practical. I know many of you do this all the time. The river of development, the river of healing, and finally, the river or the stream of renewal. Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48, again, you probably know the story well written about 2,600 years ago. The prophet saw a vision of what the temple would one day be. And although the literal temple, of course, we know one day is going to be built in Israel, Ezekiel's not talking about that temple. He's talking about a spiritual temple. That's what he sees in this vision. That's the manifestation that we see in the church. He didn't grasp the church in that day, but that's what he was actually seeing. You see that played out in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says of us, He says, you are living stones, so let yourselves be used to build a spiritual temple, to be holy priests who who offer spiritual sacrifices to God. You remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, he says, you are what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said, right? That's who you are, the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And what Ezekiel sees is a river flowing from under the temple doorway. It's flowing east, and it gets to the eastern gate, and it flows through the gate, and it flows down the hill all the way down into the Jordan Valley. But the miracle is this, is the further the river flows, what happens? The wider it gets. It doesn't dissipate. It gets wider. It gets deeper. The current gets stronger. That's the miracle of this vision of what Ezekiel says. It just defies all natural laws. But friends, don't make make any mistake here this morning. The prophet was describing an age to come that had to do with the river of the Holy Spirit that would flow in and through his church. What Ezekiel was talking about was what Jesus prophesied in John 7 when he said, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow out from you. And then Ezekiel said something totally unimaginable for the people of his day. Something that even the people in Israel today would not have believed. Listen to what he said. Ezekiel said, This water 
will flow down into the Jordan Valley. When it enters the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea will become fresh. Everywhere the river goes, there will be many fish. Wherever this water goes, listen to this, the Dead Sea will become fresh. So where the river goes, there will be many living things. All kinds of fruit trees will grow on both banks of the river and their leaves will not dry or die. Now, I think most of us know that for millennia, the Dead Sea was so dense with concentrations of salt and minerals that nothing could live in it. Not only could nothing live in it, nothing could live around it. If you've seen the pictures, there are just mounds of salt all around the shores so that anything that tries to grow, it cannot grow. It just dies. But I was reminded this past week at a conference we attended with the uh, Bridges for Peace. I was reminded this week that God is fulfilling this Scripture in our day, in the day in which we live today. The Dead Sea, we're told. You can Google this when you go home. The Dead Sea has been rapidly shrinking. It's, it's been, the water levels have been evaporating about three feet every year. And because of that, it's led to this formation of these enormous sinkholes. But what they've also discovered a few years back, that deep under the Dead Sea, there are these, uh, these, this elaborate system of underground springs. And the springs go for hundreds and hundreds of feet. And they're up to 100 feet deep. And these, these uh, freshwater springs, they're actually filling up all these sinkholes. That's only part of the miracle. So what has happened in the Dead Sea is that fresh water is beginning to surround it and push it back. So you can see where the Dead Sea has been receding, that fresh water is beginning to come up from the ground. And there was only a couple years ago that a young woman on a hike going around the shore of the Dead Sea, she discovered that these ponds of fresh water, these large, vast ponds of fresh water, they are now surrounded by green plants. And hear me, friends, they are filled with fish. This is a 2,600-year-old prophecy from God through the prophet Ezekiel. We're, we're fill, I, I know it's not, it's not you know, fun like watching the Avengers or something cool like that. You know, this is only a 2,600-year-old impossible prophecy being fulfilled in our day. It's happening today. But you know what? As exciting as it is to see the fulfillment, the ongoing fulfillment of this prophecy, what's even more exciting to me is that it is a picture simultaneously of what is happening to you and me today of what God is doing in His church today. I don't believe it's coincidence that as we see these natural signs being fulfilled that just so happen to be tied into the prophecy of Jesus in John 7 pertaining to us, that there's also a work of God's Spirit happening in His church in this day. Ezekiel was speaking of a truth that I really want every one of us to really get a handle on this morning, and it is this. That if you will open yourself to the river of God, I don't mean religion. I don't mean just more church involvement. If you will open yourself to the river of the Holy Spirit, then no matter what in your heart or life has become embittered, 
no matter what has become poisoned, no matter what has been shut down, no matter what in you seems like it has died, I promise you that the river of the Spirit of God is full of life that will flow into every area that you open and He will neutralize whatever has been done. He will refresh. He will revive. He will bring back to life everything He has promised for you, everything He has destined for you. Wherever you may be right now, He can reverse that because as Ezekiel says, He says, everywhere the river went, everything came alive. Fully alive. But it's not just church. It's not just a belief system. It's opening your heart to the person of the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to flow in those areas that you have blocked up, those areas that you said, Lord, you can come this close, but you can't come any closer. Friends, we live in a culture, we've got to understand that we live in a culture that is growing increasingly embittered, increasingly dark, increasingly hurt and unforgiven. And you know what? I even see it in the lives of people who profess to know Jesus Christ. And I don't know your salvation. I believe that you truly love Jesus. But there are corners of your heart that you have walled off. And you just said, I'm just pushing those things down. I'm just keeping those things in the corner. And you need to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. You need to open up those areas. You need to open up those hurts. You need to open up the unforgiveness, the unbelief, the religiousness, the staleness, the things you've come accustomed to, the Christianity, the brand of it that you've created in your own mind that doesn't really know Jesus. You need to open those areas of your heart to the Holy Spirit. The Lord can flush those things away, but you've got to open your heart. We need to remember this morning, friends, God has given us His Holy Spirit not just for a feeling as wonderful as he feels, but so that he can go into those areas of our heart that have become bitter and he can restore that sweetness. Or whatever's been hardened, he can make it soft and responsive again. Whatever's been barren and unfruitful can become fruitful again. I'm going to ask Matt and the guys to come as we wind down our service. Friends, I believe God is pouring out his Holy Spirit upon every single person. It doesn't matter what denomination you're in, what church you attend. I believe with all my heart what God is doing in those last days, I could be wrong, but I don't think God's going to raise up another denomination. He doesn't need another denomination. He's got enough of them. But you know what he's got? He's got his people in every denomination who know him. His people who are thirsty for him, who are hungry for him. It doesn't matter the label on the door, but your heart is hungry for the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you're here this morning, you may be enjoying the service, but I encourage you, wherever you go back home to your service, back to your church, you be a part of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your church. You be praying for your leadership. You have a positive heart, positive affirmation, and whatever the enemy might say to you to look at and point and say, well, that's wrong with the church, and this is wrong, and that's dead, and it's not what it used to be. Whatever it may be, that you would open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, would you just come. I I just just release you into those areas that you would just bring life again. I just open my heart to you that whatever you need to make alive in me would come alive again. That I could be a part of this new thing that you are doing. The Lord wants to restore that beauty. And it doesn't always happen overnight. But it begins when you allow that river to be opened up in you. You know what really thrills my heart this morning? We talk about that kind of transformation. It's already taken place in our church. It's already taken place in people's hearts here. It's a wonderful thing to see. 
And I shared that story with the, with the young man that I met because, you know, a lot of us have been doing ministry outside and seeing God do wonderful things, seeing healing, seeing salvation. We've been seeing so many filled with the Holy Spirit this year. It's been a beautiful thing. I think this next Sunday with the baptism, we'll have over 30 been baptized already this year and want more. We want to see the Lord do a whole lot more. But I, I share that this morning because I want us to understand it's not about anything way out there, pie in the sky, big supernatural stuff. It's, it's just simply saying, Lord, as I walk through this day, I want my eyes open. I want to see what you see. I see there's needs all around me. I just want to do what you're telling me to do. I'll leave the results with you. But I just want to love people. I just want to be Jesus where I am. I just want to give you the opportunity to show people that you care. To show people that you care. That's what I said to this young man after he gave me the hug and he, and he began to walk away. He said, I can't. You know what he, actually, he actually said this. He said, you're like an angel. I said, no, I'm just a follower of Jesus. That's all I am. I said, you know, the reason I stopped to pick you up is because God saw you. God loves you. He knows who you are. He knew you needed a need in hand. He's taking care of you. He doesn't know anybody. He's come down. Did I tell you he's from Toronto? He's come down from Toronto where nobody talks to anybody. He was afraid I was going to kill him. And he gave me a hug. I said, I don't believe people do that. No, not everybody does, but Christians do. People who follow Jesus do. They just see a need and they meet it. And then God shows up. But it's in the heart and through the lives of people who open their heart to God. We, we may not get a lot of news coverage for that kind of stuff. But you know what we do? We see one heart at a time being changed. And all that matters is the Lord sees it. God has given you the stream of his Holy Spirit for a purpose. So that streams, plural, might flow through you flow through me. I'm going to ask as the musicians just softly lead us in a song of worship. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment, but all I want you to do is simply this. I just want you to yield your heart to the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you just say, Jesus, I open those areas of my heart that have become embittered, that have become hopeless, that have become dead become dry. And listen, don't you for a minute entertain the devil's lies and start justifying. Jesus will cut through all that garbage. Say, no, 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 no. You're talking to me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Forget what the enemy says. Forget what your lying mind tells you. This is what I'm telling you. There is a river within you, the Holy Spirit, who will well up and become life to you. But you have to open yourself to him. And I want to encourage you this morning, whatever may be shut down, open your heart to the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you in whatever ministry the Lord wants to open to you. You stop thinking about, I'm not this, I'm not that. I could never do that. You can love. You can pray. You can act. You can just do what Jesus tells you to do and just leave the results with him, and you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at the lives Jesus touches through you just because you open to and realize that it's not just about a place getting to heaven someday. The fullness of the presence of God in my life is about purpose. It's about purpose. Or it may just be the Holy Spirit this morning speaking to you a couple little things of saying, listen, I love to bless you, but the reason nothing's sticking is because you haven't cut those channels into your heart I've been talking to you about. You haven't been in my word. You haven't been in community and fellowship. You haven't quieted your heart and practiced listening prayer where I can speak to you or journal and, and write down what I'm talking to you about. You're not, you're not being deliberate in your walk. And so I know you're sincere, but it just splashes off you. I want it to get in you. I want it to flow through you. I want you to be this beautiful, fresh water stream. I don't want you to be a swamp. You see, it's not because Jesus is boring. We just allow ourselves to get bogged down. And, and by necessity, a bog is unproductive. It's, it's not usable. 
But a river is. A river stays fresh. A river brings life and healing. That's who Jesus is. That's who the